Hello and welcome to the Animation Industry Podcast. My name is Terry and I once interviewed at HP's headquarters by their director of marketing and in the window behind him the entire interview were two hawks furiously making babies but when I couldn't contain myself any longer and told him they conveniently flew away and uh, it was extremely awkward after that. <laughs> Safe to say I didn't get that job. Today I'm chatting with a fantastic filmmaker, a faculty of Sheridan College's animation program, the author of the go-to book on stop-motion filmmaking, and the person who personally pushed me to get back into stop-motion, Chris Walsh. In our chat, he shares what he's been up to since, well, the last time we chatted, which was episode 41, which was just over two years ago, almost to this day as well as the stop-motion short film he produced about a skeleton assassin who tries to mend his broken heart. But first, this episode is sponsored by Hue, makers of colorful plug-and-play cameras for learning, work, and play. Originally designed for teachers, Hue cameras can also be used for creative activities such as capturing hand-drawn pencil tests and shooting behind-the-scenes footage, time-lapse videos, and stop-motion animation, of course. Their cameras have flexible, posable necks, manual focus controls, and they are compatible with DragonFrame, OBS, Twitch, Zoom, and many other camera apps. Visit HueHD.com to learn more and follow at Hue cameras on social media for news, fun, and giveaways. And get 10% off any Hue product from HueHD.com with the code 10TerryAIP. And all of those details are in the description of this chat, so please go check them out. And now, without further ado, let's jump in. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? Thanks for coming on the chat. Hello, Terry. Yeah. Thanks so, for having me on. Awesome course. to see you. You're one of the few people who's, I think only one other person has come on twice and you are the second person. And the first time we chatted about, you know, being a professor and coordinator at Sheridan College, the book on how to animate in stop motion and do everything in stop motion that you wrote. And now we're chatting about a uh, amazing eight minute and I think 39 second or something short film that you produced during COVID that's finally out. And, um, you know, I'm wondering... Maybe you can start by giving a little synopsis of this uh, little film that you produced, and then we'll chat all about it. Sure, yeah. The film's called Orchid, and uh, it, it uh, it's the um, story of a hitman, a skeleton hitman. Yes, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's a skeleton hitman in its uh, in a in a noir world that also has some sci-fi elements, but the the hitman is looking for, uh, I guess, a lost love, trying to find a lost love uh, by any means necessary. And, uh, uh, and he has a conscience as well. And so the film mixes all kinds of stuff. It's a, it's a noir film. There's some comedy in it. There's some sci-fi. There's some horror. Uh, I tried to throw all kinds of stuff that I enjoy uh, into, uh, into a short film. And uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's a synopsis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think people should just watch the films and know what's going on. But you've certainly packed a lot of, uh, you know, story elements into an eight minute film. And it's uh, a little bit atypical than kind of the classic. I mean, there's still like the hero's journey, whatever. But, you know, in short films, we usually follow, you know, a character and they have, uh, you know, their total arc and everything. But you've gone kind of a little different route and you've, you know, you're mixing you know, there's kind of elements of depression and, and substance use and the hitman and everything. So where did, you know, why did you, 
where did this story come from and why did you want to tell it and, and why did you choose stop motion specifically? Well, uh, I, I chose stop motion because that's really my thing in <laughs> big yeah. time. Um, uh, by that, I mean it's it's really the the, the type of, of motion picture storytelling that I've really specialized in over, uh, man, over a lot of years now. Partly because in stop motion, I can tell stories um, like live action is very exciting. It's a, it's a fantastic place, but man, can it get expensive? Yeah. And it can be very daunting. And, and so many years ago, I, I made some realizations. You know, if I want to tell stories and if I want to tell my own motion picture stories, and if I want to have, um, say, elements of fantasy and, and world building and fantastical things, stop motion is really the great way uh, to do that. Um, I think of a, a Lee Hardcastle quote. Uh, he's got a great quote where uh, he's another stop motion guy that does some amazing claymation. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, his motto is, you know, he wanted to be the next Steven Spielberg. And stop motion was the way for him to do that, you know, to, to bring movie ideas to life. So that's me and stop motion. And so that's why I would choose it. Um, as far as where the story comes from, uh, I have to say, like, for a lot of years, I've had sort of a visual in my head that I've always hoped I could bring to the screen. And it was as as weirdly specific as this sounds. Uh, it's a wide shot of skeletons in a in a lab, like in a mad scientist's lab. I, at the time, didn't know what they were doing. I didn't know what was going to be happening in the scene or in the story, but I wanted to see that. I could see it in my imagination. And I just, uh, uh, as other projects have come and gone, and as time's kind of gone onward, um, it's just one of those things. You have a visual, and you you hope that that'll come to life. And so when the time came to, to start to develop a story for another short uh, stop-motion film, I really grabbed onto that central visual thing. And it's like, you know, for me, I wanted to make something that that I would want to watch. And I couldn't get that image of, of skeletons in a, in a mad lab. It just started to mix so many sort of genre stuff together for me that I really enjoyed and so many um, uh, so many fun uh, aspects of movies that yeah. um, I figured if I had have that much fun looking at that, then I'd probably have a lot of fun making it as well. Uh, so that's also what kind of led me uh, as I developed the story. I just kept uh, working away, uh, asking myself, do I want to watch this? Uh, and if I, uh, if the answer was yes, uh, and if it worked like at a story level in different ways, I didn't just try to, to throw everything into a story. But uh, if it kept uh, seeming like it was a story that would keep my attention and would keep me wanting to find out what would happen next, then that really um, helped to uh, lead me onward in the story. So yeah, there's there's some addiction stuff in there, uh, but there's also some romance and there's lost love and it's bittersweet and then uh, it's also kind of slapsticky as well. So yep, I threw a lot of stuff at it and had a lot of fun doing it. Totally, yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of questions on what you just said. First of all, you know Lee Hardcastle, I love his work. Um, that's hilarious. The quote is. I wanted to be Steven Spielberg, so I made my own movies. I almost, I like, I relate to that a lot. But I feel like when you choose stop motion, you don't end up becoming Steven Spielberg. You just end up doing more stop motion over time. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you end up scratching this itch of uh, is the picture of skeletons in a lab gone after making the short film now? No, skeletons are super cool. Uh, there's Wait, just no. like. So you still want to make another film about skeletons in a in a lab? Is this? Oh, I don't know if they'll be in a lab, but uh, 
I just, there's no way you're going to ever not have cool skeletons. I just think it just never ends. Uh, skeletons are just always cool. Okay, I'm going to take so, this quote yeah. from this chat and it'll become a, there's no way you're not ever going to have cool skeletons. <laughs> <laughs> they just look so cool and they connect yeah. like audiences can look at them. They immediately look at, you know, Ray Harryhausen's stuff with, uh, with totally. his skeletons, his sword fights with skeletons. Um, in uh, uh, how many stop motion projects? Jack Skellington, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, it just goes on. There's so many stop motion skeletons, but yeah. uh, I think people identify with them, and um, and they they sort of always make us think about mortality, but also you can give them a lot of characterization as well, and we can actually connect with them because they kind of are us, right? Everybody's got a skeleton inside them. Totally. Yeah. Stop motion skeletons is almost like a trope. I'm wondering though. Okay, so. You've been teaching at Sheridan for quite a few years and on a variety of subjects. When I was there, you know, you did kind of introduction to, I think, storyboarding and animation history. And, and we had tests on the basic principles of animation, et cetera. Did all of that help you in creating this film? Because, you know, you've got a solid story. Your character design is like, I absolutely love the skeletons. They're all very unique and they all fit together. You know, the the cinematography is all there, the music, et cetera. Did you kind of hone all of the things that you kind of learned in teaching over the years to put it into this film? Or did you like yourself or did you consult, you know, uh, perhaps you consulted like a story professor or uh, your connections from um, being a professor for so long to make this film into what you wanted it to be? That's a that's that's a, a good question for someone that has been teaching for as long as I have. So I'm I'm going on into my 16 years now, I guess, full time as a as a teacher. Um, all the while, still making my own stuff and and yeah. making commercial work as well um, uh, as I'm able to, and when the opportunity's there. But I think the teaching really has informed my my own filmmaking for sure, because you know you you hone things as a teacher over the years that sort of rise up as being really important. And then the next year you refine your lectures more and and the really important things kind of crystallize over time in a, in a good way, I think, um, uh, into really important essentials uh, that you you tend to focus on as a teacher. And so for sure, you know, I, I, I draw on that then as I turn to my own stuff. Um, because I believe it to be true, right? If I if I have to be passionate and and sell it to students and have evidence for students about why something is correct or right or a way to think about something, then I'm proving it for myself for real. So uh, it it sort of then is something that can inspire me and and I turn to uh, as I develop a story, for example, for sure. So with students. I, I always try to emphasize, you know, some really important essentials, especially like what I do lectures for first year students uh, in story and, you know, some essentials of story that that are always there, you know, characters, a strong central character and your character needs to have things like objectives, right, and motivations and there needs to be obstacles. These are the things I think we really take for granted, but I think sometimes we take them so much for granted, we maybe think that they don't matter. Or we think that they're just going to somehow magically appear in our stories. And uh, so for me, as I developed this story, yeah, I was being really conscious of those essentials. And I, I really wanted the story to work in sort of a classic way where um, 
where it uh, it felt as though characters were wanting things, characters were um, uh, trying to achieve things, and then characters were achieving them or were not, and then there were consequences. So all the characters in the film, if you track them through, say from the, uh, the I'm being teacher guy now, I know, but um, <laughs> look at the essentials of storytelling, right? And what characters need uh, and what they want and objectives. That's really baked into the film big time. Um, I really tried to honor uh, those essentials of storytelling. So how do you, how do you, you know, can you, are you able to be specific about how you bake uh, an, a strong element of character into the film? Uh, and well, an element of character, uh, well, it, it can be all kinds of things. So in terms of characterization, like if you want to talk about animation, there's, there's lots of moments then, you know, perhaps I'm not thinking them through as the writer, but I know as the animator, when the time comes going from uh, my really simple storyboards, I'll maybe storyboard some really simple character moments. And then I know as the animator, I'm gonna flesh that out a bit more. So for example, the central character, I call him, I either call him the hero or the assassin or whatever you like to call him. Yeah. He has some moments, especially with the, uh, the evil scientist where he has a lot of attitude, but it's a very subtle thing. And it's a very modest thing in terms of the timing I tried for in the animation and in some of his poses and his demeanor. Um, he, he is a hitman, so he's not really frightened by this mad scientist. Uh, he has a, a sense of confidence that I, I bring that out, I guess, in the in the characterization, in the performance. Yeah. Um, if you're asking about character in the, the writing of things, um, I mean, really, he's he's a, a a damaged character that, for me, uh, is is trying to 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 either find to be reunited with his lost love, or if you don't want to be that literal, uh, he's trying to to just find some sense of happiness, some sense of uh, of um, of escape, right? And that uh, is in part sort of explains uh, the relationship with that substance, that mysterious pink. Right substance that he's uh drinking yeah i think it's interesting you know what you said if you wanted this character to be confident and also you know interact with the mad scientist in a way you brought that through in an actual animation and how he's standing in the timing because you know i'd be tempted to write a line that makes him sound confident or you know uh an interaction between uh you know dialogue which you don't even use in the film well i mean there's um some uh i don't know what are they called? They're like film noir cards, I guess, like with writing on them. Yeah, title cards. Title cards. Title cards from the silent era with dialogue on it for like the very, very simple things. Even though there's sound in the film. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's interesting that you played with timing and posing and things to convey, you know, uh the characters in such a simple way. That makes a lot of sense to me. I um, had to. I had to, as as a, a guy that's wearing so many hats um when making the film so i tackled everything on it except for the the music i definitely know my limits and i wanted to have uh i really wanted to have nice sound and, and I'm, I'm really happy mike uh, hamilton a musician uh, mike treblecock did the music for it and um he's a professional musician he scores a lot of uh, horror films so it was great to work with him and uh emmy pastor did the uh the sound mix on it so i i let the professionals handle the sound but I had so many of the other aspects I was going to be in charge of that that things like animation then became really important with things like posing 
and and really effective direct animation that um i knew i couldn't lose myself in like disney quality full animation on ones i'm not that kind of guy i'm not that kind of animator and i i wanted to make a film i didn't want to to sink into really like juicy animation i wanted to to finish the film right so for me i it has to be direct it has to be purposeful and strong posing and kind of get in and get out uh and get the story across um as effectively as possible because there's just so much work to do when you're doing so many things on a short film Totally, yeah, and and uh, eight minutes of a short film entirely produced, except for the sound and music and whatnot, by one person. <laughs> that's, of course, you can't do animation on once. So, you know, maybe let's dive into your process a little bit. How long did this film take you from start to completion? And and uh, I know you kind of did it during COVID, um, but did you start before COVID or once COVID happened and you were, you know, locked in your house? <laughs> It really was, I have to say, it really was a big, a big component was COVID lockdown. Um, like I said, that the, the sort of the central images, I think, have been rattling around for a long time. Um, but really, yeah, it was COVID and and playing with the idea, too, for quite a while of, of uh, sort of magical substances, I think, is really interesting. Like, uh, call them drugs, for lack of a better word, but... Um, substances that can transform us and that can change us can evolve us it's such a a really interesting sort of um story element to play with so that had rattled around for quite a while as well um but yeah it was a hundred percent COVID. i have to say um i really got locked down right like we all did but i also happened to have a little space here at home my little i don't know what it is 10 by 12 foot little studio room that i'm really fortunate to have but it's not a lot of space, but it's enough to 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 get your head around. If you want to do a project, you work to your constraints, right? Um, and so, yeah, it was 100% COVID. Um, and it became something that for me was actually like, uh, I really found a, a way to enjoy the process on it in a way that I haven't with earlier projects. And by that, I mean, I don't know whether it's just like getting older I, like um uh, and and having made more projects now for myself that you kind of evolve in in how you deal with your own projects or whether it was covid but um i really enjoyed every process in a way that i i normally if you're making something and you got to do a lot of aspects of it like sets and props and puppets and animation uh i often am, am racing to get through to the next stage and then I'm racing to get through the next stage because you want to get it done. You want to get the film done. And that's the important thing for me with COVID uh, uh, and sorry, I meant to say Orchid, Orchid and COVID. Uh, throughout COVID though, working on it, I really sunk into it. And when I was making a puppet, I said to myself, man, I am going to enjoy making this puppet. Hmm. And I know it sounds corny, but I just uh, was able to focus on that little hand you know, or that little sculpture and really take pleasure in it. Like, um, I think it's really easy. We get really busy as artists, and especially if you're working commercially, like uh, for sure, uh, that's a whole other thing. Don't get me wrong. But if you're if you're making something for yourself or an independent project um, to, to, to find actual pleasure in every step of it, it's really it's important and it makes it pleasurable. Uh, so but I think COVID had a part of that because it kind of made me slow down and made me sort of sink in in a way that I maybe wouldn't have otherwise. 
That makes a lot of sense. Um, you mentioned you only have a 10 by 12 foot space that you made this in, but the sets, you know, you have multiple sets. They're highly detailed. Uh, I would have never imagined it was made in a 10 to 12 foot space. How, besides, you know, having COVID, how long did this actually take you to craft and animate? Was it the entire year or? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good good amount of, of way to kind of bracket it or to kind of try to give a shape to how long it took. I mean, like I said, I think it's brewed for a long time. And, uh, and uh, but I think, yeah, let's call it a year um, from from hashing out the story into the designs and uh, and then fabrication and then animation. Yeah, I had sort of planned it where I had a, a stretch of time um, that I knew I would have for animation that was pretty clear. I would have some time off in a, a summer throughout this. And that's really then the focus for what animation time was, because that really did that. That was the, the, the most time consuming stage, obviously, uh, even though I say my animations like very limited, it's still clearly yeah. you set up. You still have a lot of time you got to dedicate. So I kind of framed everything around a, a chunk of time where I would be able to, to dedicate to animation. And, gotcha. uh, and yeah, that makes call sense. It here. the luxuries of having summer off. <laughs> Well, I don't, you know, you have summer off in some ways, I guess, as a teacher, uh, at least from your job. But uh, I got two kids and I've got a, a family, you know, and uh, and lots of commitments in general. You know, uh, uh, my dad's elderly and uh, lots of life stuff as well. I think that doing work like this, even if it's not for a client and if it's um, it's for myself, I, I think that it's it's for me, but it's also for an audience and it doesn't exist, right? Like this stuff doesn't exist unless you make it. And I right. think that kind of fueled me as well. It's like, yeah. it's worth doing because it is something special that literally doesn't exist, but now it exists. And again, I know that sounds like overly simple, but I think there's something really powerful in that for, for independent artists to, to always tell ourselves, like we're making stuff that doesn't exist and now it exists. That's kind of magic. Oh, I relate to that a lot. There's imagery in my head that uh, at some point I'm going to have to make because I just have to because it doesn't exist yet. Um, yeah. Would you, you know, you said you were trying to really enjoy this project and focus on the details and make sure you enjoyed it. But, you know, working full time and then you mentioned you have a, you know, a whole bunch of other commitments. Did you find this stressful to, to produce because, you know, having a family working, taking care of your dad, life, and then, you know, you've got the summer coming up where you have some time to animate and you haven't finished making that set yet. Like, were you pushing yourself a lot and, and creating some stress for yourself in this situation too? Or was it a completely, you know, it was a dream? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I have in the past made stuff, even though if it's a independent with my, my own sort of deadlines, where I really stress out about trying to get something done. But in this case, no, I, I really kind of forgave myself in that way. Like um, I said to myself, it's okay. There, there's no, let's be honest. Like you gotta, you gotta, um, <laughs> what would I say? Like when you don't have a client <laughs> or if it's not a commercial project that has like a, an externally imposed deadline, you better enjoy it, man. Like if you're going to still make something, then enjoy it because otherwise, what the hell are you doing? Like it should be enjoyable if you have that luxury, if you want to call it that. Um, 
so no i did not i i was gentle on myself you know and uh some days i would only touch it a bit right like i would put one coat of paint on one little prop and if that was all i could get done that day hey that's progress and and uh i've learned over over the years of making stuff that like if if you have kids if you've got family if you've got a job if you've got all kinds of commitments any progress is progress and you should be proud of it. And there'll be days when you can have a ton of progress and there'll be other days where maybe you don't have any, but uh, any progress is good. So no, I, I was easy and I was um, gentle on myself that way. So then what maybe, um, what was the most challenging part of this, of producing this film? Cause I'm just amazed that it's over eight minutes and it took you about a year to make uh i can't imagine doing that myself <laughs> well i can't i have to say i can't imagine it either outside of a global eight minutes <laughs> out of a global pandemic i don't know if i can imagine it either um it was a real uh escape for me as well i think mm -hmm. so like i wanted to be in this world you know what i mean like in a lot of ways uh, you know i don't know many of us wanted to be out in the in the real world during COVID. So I I maybe sunk myself more into it than I would have without the pandemic, right? If I if I attempted something like this again, I don't know, I think it would take me a lot longer. And I don't know. Um, I don't know uh, how it would go. I don't know whether I'd finish it. So COVID, again, uh, I'm not saying thanks COVID. I'm just saying, um, yeah, I think it, it, it it's a real product of its time. Gotcha. It makes a lot <laughs> of sense. Film, yeah. You took advantage of a very unique uh, and terrible opportunity, I guess. I'm wondering also, you know, um, I've set up, you know, my bedroom is a stop motion studio as well. And I've bought lights and stuff and I have a table and tripods and things. Um, what does your home setup look like? I'm just curious because you've got some really cool mood lighting in this and the sets look pretty big, I think. I mean, I don't know how big the character is, but they look quite impressive to me so like what is what does your setup look like exactly it is bare bones man and yeah. i don't like how many lights do you have these. yeah like in my in in my book um i spend a lot of time sort of trying to emphasize to the reader like especially if someone's on a budget like like it does it it is what you do with those simple tools and those simple lights that is a lot more important than than the lights themselves. Don't get me wrong. I, I love tech and I love fancy equipment. And um, <laughs> anytime I can get into a professional studio, I just, I drool because there's just so much awesome stuff. But if that's not your reality, then, then that is not your reality. So I have like, I have very basic stuff. I do have a couple of um, LED banks. Like, um, um, I think you recommended the brand actually, Terry. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I got those. I think I maybe even got the same ones that you had recommended. Oh, I love them. Oh gosh. I can't think of what they're called. Right newer, now. newer. Is that the yeah, newer, newer? That's what that is. Yeah. And, uh, I'm not getting any kickbacks. If your listeners are wondering, I'm about Terry, but I'm not, um, uh, anyway, um, I got those, but uh, that's the fanciest thing. And even that these days, I mean, they're so affordable. Um, yeah. There's nothing really fancy about that. And then I have uh, various um, lights that I can focus using things like black wrap, you know, like cinefoil, just mm -hmm. to try to, to focus the light in and other sorts of tricks with, with really simple, like bargain basement solutions, bits of cardboard and, and stuff like that to shape the light. And uh, yeah, very, very simple. Same with the materials for set making. Like it's all it's all dollar store um, foam core. 
Interesting. Um, because, you know, at Sheridan, the stop motion studio, you know, you can work with silicon, you've got arm expensive armature stuff, you've got a welding machine, like all this fancy stuff. But for your personal short film, you just went to the dollar store and you're like, I'm going to grab some wire and some phone core. And yeah, man, that's yeah. the fun thing like that to me, at least on this, like, again, it's all different. Like if you're doing client work, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, a, 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 a demanding client doesn't uh, necessarily going to be satisfied with dollar store foam core or maybe they will be you just don't tell them you're using dollar store foam i mean core. based on what, you, what your film looks like you, i would be <laughs> it doesn't look like foam core at all so um, you pocket that money yeah so how much did you if you don't mind sharing like what was your budget for this film oh like i i def <laughs> i definitely spent the most on my music and sound because yeah. professional artists and I wanted those guys paid, like, usually if I'm working with, uh, if I'm going to bring on another artist to work with me on something, yeah. I'm really honest right up front. Uh, and I say, like, I can pay you. Uh, I save my lunch money or, you know, I, 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 I have some money that I'll put aside for a project. I can pay you. It will be like indie film rates. And I will tell you up front what I can pay you. And if that doesn't work, I don't take any offense. But but. Here's what I can do. And and then I give folks a lot of freedom. And so often it's like, okay, the guy's paying me what he can. Yeah. I appreciate that. He's giving me lots of creative freedom. And and in some cases, these are artists I've worked with quite a bit on other projects. So mm -hmm. there's a level of trust there and, and respect. So, you know, I won't go into specifics, but I definitely spent the most on my music and sound because uh, they deserved it. And, and for me, it was going to be on my own work. It's my own labor. And so really it's, it would be my own labor that would be the expense. And I wasn't invoicing myself. So <laughs> for tax yeah, purposes. <laughs> no, I guess that's true. Yeah. We should talk. Uh, you got some good accounting tips. There. I don't. <laughs> if you have some, give them to me. <laughs> I do. If you want to talk accounting, I do. If you want to. All put right. Them... Well, then we should yeah. let's save that for another podcast. Um, so maybe based on, you know, setting up your studio and buying materials besides the music and sound, which work perfectly for your film. And, you know, you can easily tell that they're made for your film because key moments and things happen in the sound and animation at the same time. Uh, do you did you have a budget for what you spent on, you know, just setting up your home, your home studio and buying materials for this film? Well, the studio materials are stuff that I've sort of accumulated right over over many years. So so that's kind of hard to put a dollar value on that. But as far as materials go, so if you look at those puppets, what they are is uh, Sculpey. Um, there's some latex in some of the hands, like to make the skin. Uh, the armatures are the like- skin of the skeleton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, latex. Um, and which is very affordable. And then those armatures, actually I did put some, you can find some early pictures of those armatures on my Instagram. And they're mm -hmm. like, they're really simple. They're like some of the simplest armatures I've ever made. Um, but again, I knew what I needed the, uh, the puppets to do. And I knew that those simple armatures, and again, I've learned that I think from teaching as well, right? Like I've, I've worked with a lot of students and and have had to to work with them in ways that that have affordable methods that can still give good results yeah. um so i kept it. it it's just it's just the way it goes for me i i would i want to get the film made and uh i'm not gonna like you know um compromise my family's future 
<laughs> in my little uh, my self-indulgent uh you know stop motion puppet films yeah. so they're just real cheap cheap materials like i just laid out there so we're talking like honestly it's hundreds of dollars in in the hundreds of dollars it's not in the thousands uh it's all in my labor though i have to say and it's in I guess what I've accumulated in abilities and skills over the years, right? Like that's, that's where it comes in. And it's a fun challenge. I love doing stuff. I'm never more proud of something than when it looks like a million bucks and it cost me like $5. I'm really proud of myself. I'm really proud of myself when I can pull that off. Yeah. For me, that's like part of being an artist is to take just scrap and junk and turn it into something that looks like something that you would be impressed by yes that's real art yeah Yeah, that's real talent i love it i love it yeah i'm glad to hear you didn't break the bank by getting like super crazy armatures and molds and things and uh you know that i i think that's a testament to like a lot of people want to make a short film and they think it's super expensive and they want to try the most high-tech stuff and that's that's great if you can but I don't know. My personal style is to just take dollar store items and garbage and make something out of it. <laughs> well, combined though too with your yeah. hard work and your dedication. Well, of course, and professional yeah. equipment and cameras yeah. and lighting and whatever. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, now that this film has been out there and it's been a while since you made it, you know, what was the overall goal? Was it to, you know, scratch this itch of this image was it to create something for film festivals was it to create a piece to talk to in school you know what was the goal of creating this film at the end of the day um when you started i wanted to make a film that would be entertaining Mm -hmm. and and like and a story that would keep you wondering from shot to shot from scene to scene what's going to happen next and i know that sounds really basic but it was a challenge I set out for for myself because I'm not dissing any short films on the planet because I know how hard everybody works to make stuff. I'm sure we can we can <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes I feel like short animated films and maybe short stop motion films they they understandably rely a lot on the, how beautiful things are in terms of fabrication and yeah. in terms of textures and and the art that's in front of your eyes on screen and that sometimes maybe their stories are more focused on say atmosphere or or mood as opposed to the kind of storytelling that that I find myself sometimes looking for which is mm. some of the, you know what's happening next why is that character doing that oh that's why that character is doing that and that leads us onward onward and onward through the story so I wanted to make a story like that I wanted to make something that people would keep watching and paying attention to like le- legitimately paying attention to the story um that was really important to me um mm. so I wanted to make that that was entertaining would keep people watching and uh and that would be like amusement sounds like such a, a trivial word sometimes, but I wanted to make an amusement film, like something that 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 was fun to watch and that would be enjoyable. I didn't want to go too, too dark with it. I've made darker horror stuff in the past, but I wanted it to still feel sort of cartoony yeah. and fun. Uh, and then I wanted it to go to, yeah, to festivals and uh, to be seen. And uh, it's sitting there now on YouTube and I'm hoping people will check it out and enjoy it. And I, I want people to watch it and enjoy it. I had a really nice comment. It played at a, a horror festival in Toronto recently and someone on YouTube made a comment saying that that they really liked it. They caught it at that festival and that they really enjoyed it. Oh, nice. It's like, I don't know that person, but that person thought to make that comment and that's what I want, right? Yeah. I, I, I want to... Uh, want that. I got to show it to an audience. COVID's made it hard with audiences to see stuff. So 
and I couldn't get to Montreal. I played at the Montreal Festival, which uh, was great. Thank you, but I couldn't get to see there. I was working, but um, I did show it to the third year stop motion students this year at Cherry. Nice. And uh, they gave me a nice applause and uh, they had some interesting questions and we kind of tied it to what we're doing in class. So um, that was nice. It also serves as like way back when uh, there was also an idea that it could serve as, um, like I said, I find that idea of like, like, well, drugs, uh, very interesting, right? Like how they change us, even like, you know, uh, uh, Tylenol, right? Like it changes us, every coffee, right through to like weird uh, pink substances that you drink and transforms you. Uh, so uh, in my mind, this also could serve as like a one in a series or like one in an anthology mm. uh, of stories sort of connecting themselves by the sort of principle of this mysterious fuchsia pink liquid material. And it might be that that's what's called orchid. <gasps> but that's all oh, sort of behind us. Because yeah. you can go anywhere with it. You don't, I mean, it sounds like you just want to make skeletons forever, but you don't have to do skeletons for the next one. Um, oh. I, uh, what you said about, you know, getting a comment on YouTube, like I, I absolutely love and live for those experiences where somebody out of the blue that you've never met or never connected with you, you just put something out into the world and they somehow stumbled across it and they had an experience and they give you some feedback. Like to me, that's the ultimate uh i don't know it's just a it's a high <laughs> of yeah. experience <laughs> yeah, as an artist but you know um so your goal was to create something amusing uh and that entertains you from scene to scene etc cetera, etc cetera. how would you evaluate that having happened now that it's finished well it's gotten positive feedback uh it it seems to go over well with audiences and the, the parts that that i hope would be funny seem to be funny for an audience and the parts yeah. that are you know uh so you know i haven't i i i i'm not holding tightly to i guess in the same way that i tried to or was able to enjoy every stage of this made me kind of say to myself whoa what's going on like are you you're like you're at a new point in how you make stuff if you're just enjoying the process. Wow. Like that's, that's pretty cool. So I went with that. I'm kind of feel the same way with, with it now being done. I'm proud of it. I'm proud that it's out there and that people can see it and enjoy it. And then that's kind of it, Terry. Like I know we've talked you and I uh, so much over time and I know your, um, uh, your, uh, your efforts with, um, you know, development work and, and, yeah. and looking at building something into a bigger thing. And so that could happen with this, but I uh, honestly, I've made it, I'm proud of it. And I'm really happy that it exists full stop. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. That sounds very, uh, pure, I guess, even, even with the goal of just wanting to enjoy the process and then experiencing that, that sounds amazing to me because like, you know, a lot of the times when I'm creating something, there's another goal that uh, I'm creating it for either it's work or it's a side project or something. And then at some point it becomes work uh, and I'm not so much enjoying it. And then I have to rediscover, you know, why am I doing this in the first place? And uh, you know, that rediscovery is changing. It's either to work collaboratively with an amazing group of artists and that's why I'm doing this, or, you know, I'm doing this for work or I'm doing this for a future payoff with uh, something else, or, you know, I'm doing this because it's a very long process and I have to push myself to do it if I want to get, you know, my own show or something. So just 
enjoying every bit of creating something sounds like an amazing goal. And it sounds like you achieved that. And, you know, what would it take for you to start that process again, now that you've finished, you're back into teaching, COVID is hopefully over, we, you know, we're entering into winter time, but uh, what would it take for you to start this process again? Well, I'll, I'll just, before I, I answer that, I have to say, like, you know, I really do think we're we you and I literally are at different places. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, um that's fair. And and I have <laughs> I'm not saying you don't have a job, Terry. I'm saying <laughs> I have a, I'm saying I have a kind of a job. And that kind of a job is uh is it's it 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 allows me routine. Yeah. You know what I mean? And totally, totally. and in that I, I want to remain productive and I want to like, I see it as like, um, I won't say it's the obligation, but I feel obliged, like, wow, that's an opportunity. You've got an opportunity to make stuff in this sort of way, like make it because you love to make it. Uh, so I, I, I want to honor that opportunity that I have, okay. you know what I mean? I want to take advantage of that opportunity that I have. If this became, if someone saw this, but at, you know, at the same time, I can, I can sound very, um, uh, you know, philosophical there, but if someone sees this film and wants to fund a feature film version of it, or wants to develop it into something more, I'm all ears, right? Cause I, I can, I can go that way as well with projects. If, if this wants to become something, I just, uh, currently am not really inclined to hustle it. That's fair. That's fair. And, you know, when I was working in the business world, I was probably, you know, I, I'm creative in my day to day now. I'm animating full time, which is amazing, but I don't, it's harder for me in my spare time to work on my own projects because, uh, you know, I feel a lot of creative fulfillment during the day. And then I, you know, I reach some sort of exhaustion by the end of the day where I don't feel like working on my creative projects. But, I, you know, I'm not saying the same with you, but you, as you were talking about, you know, you have a routine and, and you have this opportunity. When I was working in my business job, I was using every spare moment of my spare time to create stuff, which is the kind of the opposite of what I'm doing now. So I I definitely understand, you know, being in a routine and and having that job that's secure and, and allowing you, you know, you're, you clock out at whatever, 5, 6 p.m. And then you have all the spare time to you know, have a dinner and then work on a cute project animation wise. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, it's, um, oh, sorry, go yes, ahead. you nailed it. And, 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 uh, and it, 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 you, you really do kind of draw out two different kinds of worlds there and the way you compare it to when you were working in business, that's exactly right. That's how I sort of see it. There's, there's like, if you've got creative impulses and creative energies, if they're coming out in your professional work and you're getting paid, then they're coming out and that's a good thing. And you're getting paid to do it. And that gives you a, a whole sense of satisfaction and accomplishment and uh, validation, right? Of like, yeah. I knew I could do this. <laughs> Despite maybe if you've heard something otherwise, you're like, you're proving it to yourself with your paycheck that your creative abilities are allowing you to, to survive. And that's a really awesome thing. It then also uses up your creative energies. Because that's what's happening. That's literally what's happening. If you're, you know, I, I feel like I'm creative in my teaching, but it doesn't, it doesn't 
tap in when I was working commercially in stop motion, just like you said, like it, it does drain you. Of course mm -hmm. it does. Right. In a, in that way, in a, the, in a way that I think teaching doesn't, it drains you in other ways. That's for sure. In terms of like, um, outwardness, if you're, uh, if you're introverted, it definitely draws a lot out of you because you're giving yourself out to students a lot. So in some ways though, you can then come home and go inward. And if you go inward into making art, it's like, okay, uh, then, then your, your creative impulses are still uh, expressing themselves. So, okay. So you, you know, you kind of, your whole job, you live, eat, sleep animation, basically. Your job is to teach animation and history and all that stuff. Do you, and when you're not animating on projects of your own, do you feel that a super itch to produce something because you're basically talking about other people's animation all day? Yeah, that's a part of it, I think, to be honest. I see I'm always working with these amazingly talented young artists that are coming up and that have so much creative energy and are 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 expressing it through their assignments and through the work that they're doing. And uh, yeah, for sure, I'm, I'm really inspired by what I see going on around me and honestly what I am teaching, right? So if I if I've got a, a something that I'm passionate about, and I'm, I, you know, I uh, like you've mentioned, I teach also at Sheridan. I teach animation history, and I love it, right? Like I love, I, I, I part of why I love it though is because it inspires me creatively. Like I, I, I take so much inspiration from it, and I sort of see it as fuel. Um, that that yeah, in what I am teaching, it uh, I then definitely use that to to sort of energize myself. Um, and to, to, I, I don't golf. Okay. <laughs> like, uh, I don't really know what hobbies are because oh, no. my, hobbies, <laughs> my hobbies are what I am teaching and are what I'm, I'm creating in terms of, of films and stuff like that. Yeah. So, uh, I, some, sometimes people say like, I don't know where you find the time. And I say, well, I don't kind of don't do anything else. Like I'm, yeah. this is, this is kind of what I do. So. Fair enough. Well, uh, you know, we've chatted about Orchid and where it came from and what it took to produce and inspiration and everything. Is there anything that, uh, you know, we missed that you wanted to share with people listening? I think I would just say, um, you know, I, I, as I'm getting older as a, as a human and as an artist and as a teacher as well, I find myself, you know, I don't know if, if students can relate just because they are where they are. And I always, I always, um, am mindful of that like as a teacher you're always getting older going through different stages in life but often you're you're teaching the same demographic right so yeah. they're in some ways at at, at a, a same stage so i don't know if they can hear it when i say it to them but i'm saying it to them more and more these days and i i don't i don't go on at great lengths but i i, I do tell them like try to enjoy what you're doing yeah like, it's so hard, I know, as a student, but it's also hard when you're working commercially. And it's hard then if you're not working commercially and you got a family and you're trying to just like get something made, like one drawing or one bit yeah. of like go easy on yourself, forgive yourself, be gentle on yourself, but also like be proud of yourself for anything that you make, anything that you create. It's a special thing that did not exist and now it exists. I think like students take it for granted and they're surrounded by other students that are so creative and it just seems like, oh, I'm in a world where everybody's like this, but they're not, they're not like that. And you have like great gifts and um, try to be in the moment with that gift. Like I used to work with a carpenter when I worked in live action, 
Um, and, you know, live action, film production, carpentry, like he was a really good carpenter. But um, he had to make stuff that just looks good on the surface, right? Like it's it's literally what you do with sets for film, right? Same with stop motion. But anyways, uh, he and I were working one day and he made me stop and he said, hold on, hold on. Before we rush on to the next thing, let's stop and take a look at what we just made. And I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah, we're looking at it. Okay. He said, no, no, look at it. And realize that that is a thing of beauty. He literally did this and stopped and looked at his work. And I thought, you're crazy, man. You're, you're smoking too much pot on your lunch break. But he was right. And I live by it to this day. And I think it's really important to, to look at what you do and see it as a thing of beauty. That's it, wow. Terry. That's I'm going out on that. Oh, I love that. And, you know, uh, I went through the Sheridan experience a couple of years ago. And especially in first and second year, you're just uh stressing and rushing to get all your assignments done and a lot of people uh aren't enjoying it they're you know they're putting things off they're spending all nights they're you know just having anxiety over it and it's it's really tough to see you know i i also try to you know enjoy and put my love into every piece that i made at sheridan but it's it's really tough when you're in an atmosphere with deadlines and marks and comp, you know, there's not really competition, but you feel like it's competition because everybody's super talented. So, you know, I, I very much appreciate uh, what you just said. And I'm glad that you're telling students that as well, because, you know, you're in school, you're in a bubble and, and you should enjoy that more than when you're in the real world, when things actually matter. <laughs> but I know, and I was there too, when I was a, a student and I know they can't, I, I hope that they'll maybe, maybe yeah. remember it in, in 10, 15 years. Maybe it'll it'll be that thing that'll come up then because I know where they're at. I really do. But, um, but just yeah. one of life's lessons. You only learn when you're older and you wish you could go switch your life around and do it the other way. <laughs> well, we have we have what we have. Yeah. Well, um, you know, is there anything else that you wanted to share as we're wrapping up, Chris? No, you keep asking me that, and I love the sound. Of <laughs> I only asked you so much. Once. You, yeah. you already you, said uh, I'm ending on this. All right, well let's let's cut it off here then. You know, Chris, <laughs> it's it's uh, you know I I super enjoyed watching your film, picking your brain about it, and uh, you know seeing some of the behind the scenes and and uh, how it's developed over time. I think it's really cool, and I'm really excited that you produced the film again. This is uh, I think it's really exciting. You know, I've watched all your work over the years, and. Uh, I just feel like you're upping your game every time you make something. So it's uh, can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks, Terry. That's really nice of you to say that. That means a lot to me. You uh, you you bring so much uh, passion and uh, and hard work and talent to what you do, and uh, and you've been an inspiration as well. You know, teachers look to to students as well to be uh, energized and to be um, to be reminded that that this kind of work is important and that um, that there's like the new crew, the new breed coming up that's got passion and talent. And uh, that's definitely been you, man. So uh, thanks to you. Well, thank you. I mean, it's a two-way street. You pushed me to make the Silly Duck Wizard in the first place. So if I, if you didn't push me to make that, I wouldn't be where I was now, to be honest. So it, It's passed onward and onward, man. I had teachers yeah. like that back in the day that did the same, you know, same sorts of things, right? Where you, 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 you get that kind of support and uh, it really does matter. So you just make sure you keep passing it on to. I'm, I'm trying. This podcast is one of the ways that I try to do that. So. <laughs> All right. All right.
All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much. And if you're listening and you want to check out Orchid, I'm going to post the link to the YouTube in the description of this chat, as well as Chris's website, so you can check out his other work. And that's all for now. Thank you so much for listening. Okay, bye. The music for this podcast was composed by Will Farmer and the graphics by Daniel Abensauer. I encourage you to look them up if you enjoyed their work. Thank you.